0: So you can have this product for four easy payments of $19.95. I would like to have a product that was available for three easy payments and one fucking complicated payment. We can tell you which payment it is, but one of these payments is going to be a bitch. The mailman will get shot to death. The envelope will not seal. And the stamp will be in the wrong denomination. Good luck, fucker. Hello, comrades. It's episode one forty four of this machine kills your premium episode for this week. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. So, as promised at the beginning of the of this week's free episode, where we said we were going to get to talking about buy now, pay later, and never got around to it. Now, now we got all the all all the front matter out the way. All the stories of the week we wanted to talk about. All those are done. So now we can, now we can get down to business and really focus on some, on buy now pay later. I mean, buy now pay later uh, before, before we get super into it around the mechanics of how it operates and all all the, the the political economy of it, the, the kind of social consequences, big and small, uh, real and, and, and potential. I want to, what are people's, uh, interactions with buy now pay later have have either of y'all used it
1: i think definitely uh like years ago i'm sure i've used some of these like kind of like okay you bet you pay in installments right like if the thing costs 300 you can do probably seven eighty 80 a week every two weeks or every payment and four payments and then the 20 extra is like a little interest Um, although I do know that the earlier versions of this were like, or I noticed the earlier versions of this had credit checks, Hmm. but now they seem to have gotten rid of that from what I've seen. Like when I buy anything online at a store, when they offer it, right. And you read through the details, they don't offer, uh, they don't do credit checks. Right. And I remember before this episode, I was looking at some like retailers that offer this and it just seems like it's straight up, like buy it.
0: We give you the
2: loan essentially.
0: Yeah. Jeremy, have you used Buy Now Pay Later?
2: I haven't uh, used any of the recent iterations of Buy Now Pay Later. Back in the day, PayPal had something similar, probably, I want to say, mid aughts, where if you wanted to buy something that was a little bit outside of like something you would normally have spent, they give you an option where you can like make a payment that's like a- equivalent to a third of the price, and then you can make payments every month. Hmm you know, for the following handful of months until it's paid off. I know of people where it's actually gotten them in some really deep financial shit, you know, but I've also done the, the earliest iteration of it, which I would consider probably like retail layaway, which a lot of people Mm -hmm. are familiar with. You know, if you grew up like, like I did or like we did, there's a lot of things that got put on layaway like, you know, Christmas, uh, a lot of times it was like back to school stuff. So I'd, I, I imagine I see more proliferation of ads for stuff like that during those times for the buy now, pay later. I know it's on almost any like online retailer you go to, you see it a, a prevalence of it more um, when it's, uh, you know, usually those times where, you know, money's going to be tight, but there's also purchases that need to be made.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, I, 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 think layaway is the exact, uh, analogy here with what, with what buy now pay later has become. Um, I, 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 also have not used buy now pay later myself in large part because, uh, I'm highly skeptical of it. And like, you know, I, I've been, been aware of it for a while, obviously. And, and you know, I've said before, I'll say again, and I'll say again and again that, you know, uh, it, it immediately, like the the first time I came across um, Buy Now, Pay Later, you know, I was like, man, this is going to give me an aneurysm, <laughs> you know, like, like, it, it looked to me um, at first, like a, uh, a payday lender with an app, you know, something like Quicken Loans, you know, something like that, right? Looking into it more and as it's developed, I don't think it's quite a pay. It's not a payday lender with an app, but it does sit, I think, somewhere in between in a weird way, payday lending, uh, and layaway. You know, yeah, like, like Jeremy is saying, you know, for, for people who might not be aware, you know, the stuff that, the buy-now-pay-later companies, you know, the big three right now are Affirm, Klarna, and Afterpay. But there's also just a ton of other ones popping up, you know, like Zip or whatever. Um, a lot of other banks are starting to uh, come up with their own version of buy-now-pay-later. PayPal, um, you know, you mentioned that PayPal had a kind of like layaway type thing, you know, 10, 15 years ago but now they are also exploring their own version of buy now pay later um you know it, it, it's it's becoming ubiquitous the f- like maybe the one, some of the first times i saw it in the wild uh was i'm you know i'm in australia and afterpay is one of the big buy now pay later companies and afterpay was founded in australia in 2014 so I, I was seeing afterpay for for a while. Yeah, I've been living in Australia since 2017, uh, and so I was seeing afterpay on, um, especially like not not so much at point of sale. You know, like in person shopping, although it does exist, and and we can we'll get to this. But afterpay was just recently acquired by Square, Jack Dorsey's. Uh, you know, payment processing company that is, you know, also ubiquitous in terms of like providing this kind of like Internet of Things point of sale, you know, systems for a lot of businesses and, and you know, you see them at farmers markets, right? The little square that you swipe or you tap. You see them. I s- there's one at my you know local coffee shop. All the coffee shops seem to be Square now. You know the little square kiosk. Uh, it's it's just like this you know all in one cashier or cash register point of sale uh, kind of solution or technology. But Square uh, just acquired Afterpay last year for thirty nine billion dollars. This is the largest uh merger and acquisition deal in Australian history. And Afterpay, like says, one of the first of these buy now pay later companies. Afterpay really uh pioneered what buy now pay later has become, which is the pay and for, or you buy, you know, you pay for something uh, you pay a quarter of the price for something right up front. And then you pay uh three biweekly installments uh, from there on, so you you know you pay off the thing over the course of uh, six weeks. Um, so it's this is, you know buy in four. that has been the uh, kind of predominant model for how buy now pay later things work. But backing up a little bit, you know the analogy I think is, is that with, more with layaway than with payday lending as it currently stands although there's some there's absolutely some elements of payday lending that have been wrapped up into buy now pay later in a pretty insidious way i think um but you know layaway is very much that same kind of thing maybe not on such a short time scale and a, a such a rigid uh payment structure of the four easy payments you know but very much that kind of like you want to buy a thing um, or or a number of a basket uh, of things and you don't have the money for it right now. So you throw it on layaway and then you can come back and you can, you know, you can pay it off uh, in installments. Whenever you get your paycheck, you get a little money or something like that. Yeah. You know, you know, Jeremy and I growing up together, definitely remember our mom going to like Walmart or Kmart uh, you know, something like, you know, something like that is, you know, get the back to, back to school, um, equipment, clothes, you know, all the stuff that's needed might not be able to have, you know, pay for it all right away. So you throw it on layaway and then you get it, or, or, or maybe there's some furniture you want to buy, you know, kind of big purchase. What's kind of different here is a, a number of important things though. With layaway, you know, so oftentimes I think with layaway in the past, you didn't get to take the thing home. You know, they would kind of set it aside for you, and then you got it once you paid it off. Um, it, you know, so it was these kind of payment uh, payment plan. You didn't get the you didn't necessarily get the thing unless you paid it off, or or some places would. Open up a kind of credit line for you, um, but there'd probably be some interest, you know, involved if you're getting like a a, a store credit card. Um, you know, you you pay you you get the Macy's or the Sears card, um, and it might be a lower interest rate, but there's going to be some interest, you know. So then, then you start getting into kind of credit card territory, um, but you get to take the thing home with you. A lot of, you know, the, the way pay, buy now, pay later works though is that, you know, especially with a lot of it being online, is you get the thing, you know, essentially after pay or a firm or Klarna or whoever, they're buying the thing for, they're giving you a, a, a transaction based credit line, you know, it's say it's a, you know, it's $200 uh, for a pair of jeans that you really want to buy. Well, Afterpay is buying the jeans for you. And you know, you get to take the thing home, but you're you're essentially leasing the jeans from afterpay until you pay off. You know, you pay $50 up front, that's your down payment. And then for the next two weeks, you pay $50 a week uh, until you pay it off in six weeks, and then it's yours. Scot-free. What's what's drawn a lot of people into The buy now pay later kind of ecosystem, and it it, was really wild for me. I went to a big Westfield's mall here in Melbourne, Australia, for the uh, first time in a long time um, after you know because of COVID, and I was like just kind of walking around the mall, shocked at the the marketing of Klarna um which you know for those who don't know Klarna is a Swedish buy now pay later company as the most annoying fucking advertisement uh, because it's like millennial pink is i think that's i think that's what they call the color millennial pink but it's like this kind of hot pink the Klarna is like a very like, you know, ultra modern kind of marketing. And I was at this Wetsfields mall and it was the Klarna hot pink was just everywhere. Like literally like the, um, the ground was just a, a, a strip of Klarna pink, you know, it's just a strip of pink and it's just said Klarna, Klarna, Klarna. So they're, you know, they're using the ground that you're walking on as a billboard essentially. Then, you know, they've got the, The more traditional like marketing and and billboards like within the Westfields, you know, it's just marketing everywhere. Klarna, Klarna, Klarna.
2: I'm still kind of like learning about all this shit, but I'm also to the point right now where years of credit card use have come back to bite me in the ass and now I'm dealing with avalanching debt that I'm having to pay off so that, you know, I I can identify with those people that look at something like that and say, Hey, you know, I don't have $145 right now, but I have $25 right now and $25 right now can purchase this item for me. But I, the real question is, is, you know, it, 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 it feels predatory. It feels borderline payday loanish. Are you seeing these in like Grocery stores, gas stations. I mean, like, mm. are people putting fucking, are they doing four payments on a tank of gas? Cause gas is expensive as shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, we, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. I, I think the, the use of these, uh, of buy now, pay later is definitely exploding. It's becoming a lot more normalized. And it's, it's been so, like, very, like, too, too normal too quickly. Um, where I think people are, Using it to pay for not just big consumer purchases, uh, like a nice pair of jeans or a pair of shoes, but like groceries. I mean, there's absolutely been examples of people using it to buy groceries, people using it to buy meals. I mean, we'll get some of the articles we'll get to. There's a, a very a recent consumer reports article that just came out. This week, and the title of it is "I bought a burrito from Chipotle in four easy payments." That's the idea: is that people like you can actually buy like your you know your Chipotle meal from from one of these companies um, because a lot of them. Are starting to have really low limits on spending. You know, so like Zip, for example, only has a $35 limit. So anything over $35, you can use Zip to, to pay for it in, you know, four easy installments. Uh, you know, Klarna, we were just mentioning, um, has the lowest one of $10, $10 limit for it to use Klarna. It's really wild, but, you know, uh, so I saw all this Klarna marketing in a Westfields mall, and then, like, you know, I, lo- I bought something online, and then, like, out of nowhere, so, you know, a store that I bought stuff from before, all of a sudden there's, like, three or four of these um, buy now, pay later companies available to me at checkout, you know, it's like, you know, you get to the checkout, it's like how you want to pay, you want to pay by PayPal, you want to pay by credit card, debit card, or... You know, do you want to use Afterpay, Affirm, Klarna, or Zip? You know, it's like what? You know, it's just like and and this is this is a you know a bigger story that you know as as we build out what is Buy now pay later, how's it working? I think this is one of the big important aspects of uh, what make what sets this apart from old versions of layaway, um, but also like payday lending is that it is so focused on this intermediation, you know, middleman being right in between you and a merchant. You know, why, why use your credit card? Why go through a bank? Uh, you know, to pay for this thing. Why go through PayPal to pay for this thing? Instead, you know, you've got these middlemen budge, you know, nudging their way in, shouldering their way in there and being like, Hey, Hey, use me, use me, use me. It reminds me of, um, and it's impossible to find the clips now cause all this shit's been scrubbed from the internet, but there was this old bit from Chappelle's show. That was then the premise of the bit was what if the internet was a real place? And there is actually a bit in that, in that sketch Chappelle is walking around this like mall and it's like, what if the internet was a real mall? And you know, and he, he's going up to buy a pair of, uh, of like Jordans or something like that. And then as he's like about to hand over money to the guy for the pair of Jordans four guys in business suits nudge their way in there and be like, hey man, hey man, hey man, why why are you using cash? Why don't you, let me get these Jordans for you, you know, like how about you go through me and another guy's like, no, no man, go through me, go through me, like I got this for you, you know, and Chappelle Show like, presciently foresaw um, buy now mm-hmm. pay later stuff 10 years before it was actually real and that's what the shopping experience online is like now with these companies nudging their way in there shouldering their way in and being like hey 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 you know why spend $200 all at once? Spend $50 now and then just give me $50 uh, uh, every two weeks for the next six weeks. And, you know, it's easy. It's budget. It's it's a budgeting tool. That's how a lot of this is being marketed. You know, it's about, per- you know, hey, this is just helping you do budgeting. I think that's really interesting, too, that it's helping you do budgeting because then that
1: immediately shifts it to like, it's not just like, a, why should you have to pay the full cost for things now? It's like, you can only really be liberated if you're spending all of your money and you're counting for all of it right it, the more money you're spending if it's on scheduled slots and allotments the more things you can have the more freedom you get to have right i think that's a very that's an interesting dynamic to like try to introduce that also immediately targets low-income you know poor people right because the idea for that is like okay well maybe you may not have enough to get everything that you want. So freedom is getting everything you want. So we'll give you this tool that'll allow you to get all these things. We'll loan you the money. It'll be zero interest or it'll be low interest.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they would never want to say that they're targeting, you know, low income people or that they're targeting, No, or, 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 uh, you know, or, or racial minorities or anything like that. They would never want to say they're targeting, you know, those people. Instead, they do, they do use that rhetoric of this is about just, uh, easing out your cash flow, right? So you're not having, you know, this is about helping you budget. This is about helping you not have big sudden payments. But you know, easier to manage, smaller payments, and then they and they also always say um, the companies themselves, the you know the the proponents of these companies will always will always say it's everybody is using this Ed. It's not just low income people. It's not just millennials. It's not just uh, people of color. You know, everybody is using this. Every tax bracket. Every, you know, uh, race and gender, like, you know, this is being used by everybody because, hey, who doesn't want to help, you know, smooth out their cash flow and not pay for things, you know, not pay for big things all at once and just pay for things over time. You know, there's a I think there's a lot to be skeptical about that, though, because as these companies have been really adept at avoiding regulation, surprise, surprise, Uh you know. Because they have been booming so much, and I mean, big red flag that uh, buy now, pay later companies, which again, you know, Afterpay, one of the first ones, founded in 2014, Affirm, another big one, which was also founded by Max Levchin. Um, who was one, Who was PayPal's uh, chief technology officer, part of the PayPal mafia. Oh,
1: yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, the PayPal mafia comes back.
0: Yeah, yeah. So a firm, you know, founded in um, like around 2016, if I'm getting my numbers right. They've been around for a while, but they've been really adept at uh, skirting regulation, of course, some regulators are starting to recommend, you know, starting to investigate them, starting to to recommend some inquiries. But like, for example, um, Afterpay's founder, Nick Molnar, um, has always been really adamant that Afterpay is not a finance company, that its service is not offering loans to consumers. It is, quote, a retail tool, not a finance product. Uh, and, the reason why they're so on this marketing or on this message of it's not a finance product is because they want to avoid financial regulation, which there is a lot of finance products, but instead after pay markets itself as a retail tool, a firm markets itself as a budgeting tool, right? Like they, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. And we see this constantly in this, in this space of like, you know, decentralized finance or fintech, we, you know, buy now, pay later is more like the fintech darling right now. Um, but they always want to distance themselves from that label of finance because that comes with regulation. It comes with scrutiny. And instead, you know, what we see is, fine you know finance by another name going on here but as there has been some uh investigations by like the Australian Senate has did an inquiry last year into um financial technology uh there's been a number of uh, other studies by like consumer reports um other regulators other um you know adv- advocacy groups have done investigations and what they're finding is you know, during the the two years, uh, these last two years of the pandemic, Buy Now, Pay Later exploded in use. I, I mean, big red flag, right? Big red flag of any company that did really well during the pandemic. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's not signs that it's a good company, that it's doing things that are, uh, probably not doing things that are either socially useful or not doing them in socially beneficial, uh, manners or methods. But instead, you know, now according to Recent reports, so about one in five Americans have used a buy now, pay later service. Um, according to a January twenty-two uh, 2022 uh, survey by Consumer Reports, um, other reports have shown that upwards of a, uh, of a third of people, um, in, in the U S, uh, have used buy now pay later services. They're, uh, very popular in Australia and Europe as well. So, you know, a lot of people are using this, you know, some people for a lot of people, it's like, you know, they're, they've used it a, a few times, but there are also, and this gets at what you're saying, what you were getting at too, Ed, where there's, there's a seems to be a ready-made predatory element to this is that there's also been reports of people um, that have anywhere from 10 to 50 buy now, pay later um, payments currently active. That's insane. Which is insane, right? And and so that what that means is that some people, yes, are using it for like a big purchase. But there also is a number of people too many people um, who are using it for everyday purchases which now which really starts now getting into how this works and the kind of like predatory elements to it how much of a
1: cross-pollination is there between people who were in previously predatory industries with these corporations are like do we know if they're being staffed Excessively, not just by leadership, but also engineers or individuals who helped consolid- who helped like build, craft, consolidate um, payday lenders. they in their forays into fintech because it pretty much sounds like they already have all this knowledge and it's, and it, and it, and it disseminated into them immediately. But do we know like if they were, if they ran in the same circles or it's just like that sort of thing where it's like new generation believe or is like believes that what they're offering is a novel way to liberate people on some level or a novel way to extract revenue. And they don't really care about what came before, except as a method for beating past results.
0: That's a good question. So with, so if we focus on the three big companies right now, Affirm, Afterpay, and Klarna, Klarna is Swedish, and it seems to have just been founded by some Swedish entrepreneurs, you know, just guys looking to, to make a startup yeah. and, and get a lot of, mo- you know, Swedish a lot ingenuity, of money, you know, make a lot of money. Shout out
1: yeah. to the North. <laughs> exactly. Are they Nordic?
0: Are they Nordic? Uh, I don't know if, I don't think, Swe- that's more Scandinavian. Okay, Scandinavian, that's the one. <laughs> the social Democrats. I
2: don't know what's up with the Swedes lately between Klarna and Spotify. Like, you know, they're just like secretly behind the scenes manipulating shit.
0: <laughs> I mean, all pop music has, is made by Swedish people. So, you know, the Spotify thing makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Klarna is actually interesting. Cause it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's like the granddaddy of a lot of this. Klarna was actually founded in 2005. So they were kind of laying beneath the surface for a long time. Although, you know, they were largely operating, you know, it took them a while to break out of their. You know, that, that region of Europe, uh, you know, expand, expand, took a while for these services to, um, really take off. Um, so Klarna didn't launch in the United States until, uh, the end of 2015, for example. So they were, they were laying low, um, building up in Europe for about 10 years before started, you know, 2015, uh, they, they launched in the US. 2019, they raise almost half a billion dollars with pay, uh, with plans to expand payment presence in the U.S. Um, and this, uh, but also uh, expanding to other places. So, like you know, this raising of money, you know, this half billion dollars or, or almost half billion that they raised in 2019, perfect timing right before the pandemic. What did they know, Ed? What did they know? <laughs> I mean, they they, they did it. I, I just want to put that out
1: there. They're the one who did Corona.
0: <laughs> but like you know you look at their investment from 2019 onward and it's just it's it's a who's who uh and so this is really i think we can take 2015 uh or you know where they start expanding out but really like 2019 i think is that is like the real boom moment for buy now pay later so if we just look at clarina's investments in 2019 onward so that almost half billion dollars of investment had participation from uh, Dragoneer Investment Group, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, uh, HMI Capital, uh, a number of others. Go to 2020 Ant Financial. The you know we've talked about Ant before. Payment affiliate of Alibaba invested in Klarna in 2020 um, as part of a a, a big global partnership. Uh, 2021. You know, Klarna starts getting out of just buy now pay later and they launch bank accounts for, for people in Germany. You know, they start doing a little bit of a, a, a piloting for more than just buy now pay later, but also being a, what's called a neo bank, you know, one of these kind of smaller startup banks. Uh, then come 2021, Klarna raises $639 million in a funding round, uh, led by, SoftBank's Vision Fund 2, taking, the, taking Klarna to a valuation of $45.6 billion in <laughs> what? 2021. <laughs> what? <laughs> $45.6 billion
1: for a payday lender? That's insane. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. I didn't even... Also, you know... I, this is my fault. I, when I first heard about Vision Fund 2, I assumed that shit was dead in the water, you know, uh, that it was going to be a carcass, um, and that they would not really have the support to do what they wanted. And then lo and behold, every few weeks I hear about something backed by Vision 2 that is even more predatory than I anticipated. I need to, I need to look back in there. I need to look back at it
0: yeah we we got we got to do some episodes like really diving deeper into vision fun too uh it's kind of flown under our radar for a little bit Bit, let's jump over to afterpay then that's all you know it's australian entrepreneurship australian innovation founded in 2014 just also by some entrepreneurs afterpay is expanding it's you know it's it's making partnerships with um uh, you know really hip retailers like anthropology free people urban outfitters you know so it's making these like formal partnerships with millennial focused hipster retailers um you know really giving you a sense of who they're who they're targeting who they're going after in fact um afterpay came under a bit of fire in 2018 where you know, Urban Outfitters only ran one after pay campaign and it, you know, featured a, a black female model, you know, and in, in, in questioning, you know, so I'm uh, reading from a, a a really good piece by Susie Cagle from 2019 about after pay. She writes, you know, Urban Outfitters only ran one afterpay campaign in 2018 featuring a black female model. This may be a marketing coincidence, but perhaps not. Black people are subject to more predatory lending practices and products and overall pay higher interest and fees than their white counterparts, regardless of their financial standing. Urban Outfitters did not respond to requests for comments about its relationship with Afterpay or the ad campaign. So it only, it only ran that one ad campaign, seemed to be focusing on, um, young black females, uh, as at, you know, really with the marketing which I think also tells us a lot about not only who is perhaps disproportionately using these services, but who, as uh, later you know, investigative reporting and regulatory inquiries have shown, are the people that if they're not disproportionately using these services, they are disproportionately being harmed by these services in terms of getting trapped in debt cycles, um, getting trapped by hidden fees, getting trapped by uh debt collectors, uh you know, uh, harassing them that are, you know, on behalf of these buy now pay later companies, it tends to be young women of color who t- or who are um, you know, uh seeing the the harms um of of these companies. You know, let's go back to back to afterpay's history. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, so Afterpay expanding, it's making these brand partnerships, getting some investment, but the big kahuna happens, uh, in August of 2021. So all around the same time. So Klarna got their big vision fund 2 investment round of nearly $700 billion in June 2021. In August 2021, Afterpay, uh, and Square uh, you know, Square, Jack Dorsey's digital payments company announced that Afterpay would be acquired by Square for $39 billion. Again, as to reiterate, this makes that the largest ever merger and acquisition deal in Australian history and also makes the two founders of Afterpay, um, Nick Molnar and Anthony Eisen, the youngest Australian billionaires ever. Um, all because Jack Dorsey and Square bought Afterpay for a, you know, it was a stock acquisition. Let's go, let's jump over to a firm. So, a firm, as I mentioned as well, you know, that's, that's our, that's our big three of the buy now, pay later. Um, so a firm was actually founded in 2012, founded by Max Levchin, um, who, as I mentioned, you know, part of the PayPal mafia was the chief technology officer for PayPal. Uh and and then you know A firm became his you know his next big venture after you know after dabbling around with some other stuff um in the you know after PayPal, A firm became his next big baby. Now the history of Affirm is really interesting because like all of these companies, they they build up a myth around them. And I'm going to read from a really good Perhaps the best article I've read about Buy Now, Pay Later, uh, which is from 2017 by Susie Cagle and Racked, did a really big investigation into a firm. Um, So very early on, which I think is also very telling that this is one of the best articles I've read about Buy Now, Pay Later. um, And it's telling of the fact that there has been a scant amount of reporting and research on these, on these companies, um, on who they are, how they operate and what their, their, um, consequences are seems to just be this thing that flew under the radar, became really normal really quickly and, and hasn't been, hasn't received nearly as much attention as they should. In fact, in preparing for this episode, but also preparing to learn more about buy now pay later for my own interest, I'll, I'll get into it later. I tweeted out. You know, just asking, hey, is there any, does anybody know of any good critical political economy scholarship about buy now, pay later? Like what what academic stuff has been written about this, whether empirical or theoretical, um, hit me with it. My tweet did the rounds around Twitter. It got uh, a, a fair amount of attention. Um, Tressie McMillan Cottom retweeted it and then also said, let me know if you find anything in my own searching and asking. I've come up with nothing. And Tressie is an academic superstar. I mean, she's got 250,000 Twitter followers. She's a MacArthur Genius Fellow. She's got two best-selling books. She was also, and I've known Tressie for a very long time. She was also trying to dig into Buy Now, Pay Later, also trying to find some academic work and came up with nothing. I also came up with nothing. It shows that there's just nothing, like, for whatever reason, it's a huge blind spot. In the literature right now, people just are not paying attention to this. So, you, dear listeners, if you know of good uh, academic uh, scholarship about buy now, pay later, hit me up in the on Twitter and the DMs and the email, whatever. I, I wanna, I wanna see it. I wanna know it. I wanna read yeah. it. Um, yeah. But there just seems to be nothing out there for whatever reason. But what there is is some some pretty good reporting. Piece patchwork, piecemeal here and there. Good reporting, but this piece by Susie Cagle about a firm is really informative. So I'm just going to quote two paragraphs from her, and this is this is what's going to this this is exactly what you were asking for here. Right? Because you know, after pay, Klarna. All right, these are just some young entrepre- fintech entrepreneurs. A firm, though, is uh, one of the big big players here and has a big pedigree. So Susie writes. A firm wasn't originally built for pants loans, or at least that's not the founding folklore. Peter Till was tired of driving a carless Max Levchin around after they sold PayPal, the story goes, but Levchin couldn't qualify for financing on his own. Despite being a prominent member of the PayPal mafia, he'd made common 20-something credit mistakes um, and had the bad FICO score to prove it. Nathan Gettings, one of Till's co-founders at the secretive data analysis and services company Palantir, went on to co-found a firm with Levchin and former CTO Jeffrey Kaditz. Founders Fund, which Till co-organized, led a firm's $100 million Series D funding round in April 2016, which valued the company at $700 million. So right there... Your Klaxon should be sounding. We've got Peter Till. We've got Palantir. We've got Founders Fund. We've got PayPal. All these people are Fucking behind a firm. Sinister Six. What
1: the fuck? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh my God. That's a nightmare blunt rotation. What the fuck? Why are they? How have they all been involved? At the same time? Or is this just like an amalgamation? Amal- am- amalgamation. amalgamation. Amalgamation? I was forgetting it's word there. It? Yeah. Are, have they been in from the beginning or is this an amalgamation?
0: No. So they've been involved in a firm. I mean, they co-founded a firm. And Peter Till was one of the first um, big uh, big investors. I love that Peter
1: Thiel always knows exactly how to choose an investment which brings out the worst elements of capitalism uh in the most pr- profitable way right he's always he's very good at understanding okay let's back the social network um in hopes of you know uh creating a business model for surveillance advertising one day let's create this low-income predatory uh payday lender um and then i will help finance its transition to fintech or to more advanced consumer-oriented services in the meantime Beautiful. He has a good instinct. I mean, but I, you know, I mean, he is a capitalist. He is a crazy capitalist. So I, I admire it. I admire the hustle.
2: Ed, you wanted to talk about a dream blunt rotation. That's a dream Rochambeau rotation, but everybody gets kicked <laughs> in the nuts. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, all right, me, you, Undertaker, Kane, we could, we could take them all. We could take them all. Hell in a cell.
2: as long as i get to throw peter till off the top of it into the spanish announcer's
1: table and we all take turns even if he dies you know you will bring him back up and you can keep
2: throwing him down from the roof (laughs) i mean he's a vampire he'll survive unless one of us stakes him
1: yeah i mean there will be blood spilled there he'll probably regenerate when he tastes it or touches it you know how he is allegedly allegedly
2: This is expired blood. I'm usually used to the more fresher variety.
1: (laughs) Right, he doesn't regenerate fully. It's just like his arm is still out of place. You know the bruises that we gave him when we punched him in the face are still there.
0: (laughs) A firm also does its kind of partnership deals. You know, so in 2019, uh, a firm uh, announced a partnership with Walmart. A firm is also the exclusive buy now pay later partner uh, in the United States of. Amazon, yay! A <laughs> <laughs> uh, firm has other, also has partnered with other big giant e-commerce platforms, including Shopify, Zincart, and Big Commerce. And then 2021 is where it all just hits for the, for the buy now pay later companies. But rather than a big investment round, a firm goes public. Its IPO is in January of 2021, and it has a massive. IPO pop so you know it, it, according to reporting you know it, or the day of that when a firm went public uh, its valuation doubled to 24 billion dollars in a massive IPO pop in January now it's its its stock price has gone down a little bit since then um, but it's still a hugely hugely you know, it's a decacorn, right? I mean, it's worth well in the tens of billions of dollars. Um, like a lot of these other companies, you know, um, like Afterpay, uh, like Klarna, a firm. These are massively valuable, uh, fintech companies all focusing on being middlemen, doing intermediation, sitting right in between you and your purchase.
1: I'm getting the corkboard, the red and the red string already in my mind for
0: this. (laughs) So we've got a lot of the the we know the big players now. We've got we've got a a, a kind of a sense of what the landscape is, the financial landscape. Well, how do how do they actually work then? Because one of the things that makes them so. Easy and so convenient to use, not only because they're you know they're they've shouldered their way right in there into the the checkout flow. You know they're right there as another payment option when you're buying you know stuff online. Uh, So you know just super easy to use, but there's no interest, right? Like there's their 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 whole payment method or their whole business model is around is based around not charging you interest. So it's just, you know, it's just making four easy payments, no fees, no interest, easy. Seems like too good to be true. There's no free lunch. There's no free lunch here. So how, how, how does it actually work? Now, early on, a firm was doing more traditional payday lending type stuff, but right. you know, just more like transaction based, like, like somewhere between a, uh, a credit card and a payday lender where like, you know, a firm was doing things like running credit checks on people, uh, charging interest rates. So like early on, like in Susie Cagle's um, report on a firm from 2017, uh, you know, they were doing like 19% APR, you know, so there was an interest rate in 19%. It's not cheap. It's like right in the yeah. middle of of an average credit card interest rate at 19%. So it's not like they're like, "Oh, we're using our technology to provide cheaper interest rates than Visa or Mastercard or Amex or whatever," right? Like, you know, it's it, it, they they were more and a lot of the ways that these companies market themselves as a as, you know, as a stand apart from traditional finance is we've got Machine learning models that do real-time credit checks uh, that you know can do it so quickly um, that incorporate alternative data into that. They're crunching data on things that. Uh, uh, Credit scores or credit cards might nor, might not normally crunch data on. Of course, all this proprietary. So we don't actually know how they work or what they're doing, but this is their, you know, this was the marketing. This was the bread and butter of how they, of how they were able to do what they do on top of the fact that they, you know, like PayPal did kind of weasel their way into the middle of your transaction. So they're just right there, super quick. You know, it's, it's, you think of it as credit as a service. You know, rather than having to have a credit card, you can have a credit, you can have credit for individual transactions, but there's still going to be a fee, you know, but, but they're able to run these credit checks in, in uh, near real time because of their machine learning, you know, secret sauce. But, you know, fast forward just a few years later. And now that model is not how they tend to work now. They tend to work more along the lines of what Afterpay really pioneered, which is that, you know, pay in four, that no interest for easy installments. Um, You know, they still talk about that they've got you know, these sophisticated machine learning models that are, you know, running credit checks in real time, um, you know, only only take seconds to decide is somebody credit worthy or not. They also market this as like a, a financial inclusion story, you know. We're able to include people who are normally excluded from finance into credit, you know, people who would not normally be seen as credit worthy um, can now have access to lines of credit um, through... Through us that they would uh, be getting rejected from a, a bank, for example. But at the end of the day, what seems to be happening more so is if you if you crack open the black box of these machine learning credit check, you know, sophisticated models, it does look more like a rubber stamp. You know, that's what it actually looks like in practice. I'm sure that they are doing some kind of you know credit checking in real time. It seems to be really really rare for somebody to be denied uh a, a credit from a buy now pay later company. It seems to just be they're rubber stamping um these things, you know, auto loans in a way, or automatic loans, not auto as in car. You know, it seems to be like you basically have to already have run afoul of these companies in a serious way for you to get rejected. Um, at least that's what it looks like from the outside and from what I've been able to read. Happy to be corrected on this stuff. Again, a lot of what, you there's still a lot to be uncovered and a lot to be re- uh, uh, revealed about how this stuff works. What we know from the financial mechanics of how buy now, pay later works, since it's not interest fee or interest rates, um, is twofold. So on one hand, they're, they're getting it from the merchants, so it's the merchants who are paying a, a, a set percentage for the use of buy now, pay later. This percentage varies uh, depending on the companies, but you know, there. Let's let's just say, for sake of argument, you know, a merchant. If you pay some, if you buy something through Afterpay, from a, uh, you're not paying an interest rate, but a merchant might be paying like three percent of that credit line to the company, you know. Why would a merchant be wanting to pay a payment? You know, Why would mer- a merchant want, want to pay for a payment processor?
2: Because it gives them an opportunity to raise their price on the item no- higher than it would normally be if they know someone's willing to buy it, if they can split it up in multiple payments. This is like artificial infl- inflation bullshit that we're dealing with right now. Like All these companies are making record fucking profits, but yet everything seems to be going up in price.
1: No, no, no. That's misinformation. That's no, 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 That's misinformation, Jeremy. You're not a lot. Corporate profit. I
2: froze when I said that. Your screen froze right (laughs) as you said that. And I was like, see, I noticed it. (laughs) But I honestly, like, I I know I discussed in like our free episode about my experiences with Uber Eats, but I see this constantly with, with Uber. I've gotten to the point where I'll look at the menu of a restaurant on Uber and then I'll look at their website. And I'm not even kidding. Some places are to the point where they're raising their prices like 2 $3 on the app than what it is from the actual restaurant just to cover fees and things. But I honestly feel like, I mean, I'll use Adidas as an example because it's honestly the only retailer that I go to their website to look at buying things. And I've noticed that prices have gone up slightly the more that they they advertise all those buy now, pay later uh, options. And I honestly, you know, some some cons- you know sometimes a broken clock is right uh, twice a day. And I think I might be on to something.
0: So I think you you are you are heading in the right direction here. The the cost of that is not from what I've seen, the cost is not being passed on to consumers through higher prices. It's being passed on through behavioral economics. So what a firm claims uh, and this you know this is from a few years ago but you know th- this is still how it functionally o- operates today a firm claims an average 75% boost in order values across all its merchant partners you know so so in other words what that means is a firm is as, as Susie Cagle writes a firm is not just meeting a demand but creating one encouraging shoppers to buy and spend more a number of uh of retailers that susie cagle interviewed but also from the uh the uh materials by these companies where they you know are are essentially you know selling because consumers are not the customers of buy now pay later companies merchants are the customers of buy now pay later companies. So if you look at their sales material that are pitched to the merchants who, you know, hey, put a firm in your checkout window, put afterpay in your checkout window. Why would you do this? Well, you're going to you're going to spend, you know, you're going to give us 3% of a of an order. People are going to buy more and they're going to buy more frequently by using a firm why? It's behavioral economics. They're spend, in their mind, they're spending someone else's money. They're spending, they're spending future Jathan's money. They're spending future Ed's money. And, and psychologically, it's a lot easier to spend $50 for $200 today than to spend $200 for $200 worth of stuff today.
1: I wonder if they had behavioral economists kind of map out maybe X amount of people would only buy $200 worth of stuff every few weeks when they get paid on their payday or around them. How many people would buy $800 worth of stuff if they thought that it was $200 every two weeks on their paydays is all they had to pay, right? How many people would buy that $800 worth of stuff paying $200 a week? And then another thing, how many people would buy... $400 worth of stuff. You only have to pay $100 every, you know, two weeks. And then another like $400 thing, you know, like, like you said, I think, on its face, it is, I mean, you know, it's a smart way. It's a smart way to get people to buy more, right. And also, you know, to get them to lose track of those purchases, and those loans, so that when they do fuck up,
0: you get the extra 20%. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So this is how they're getting it on both sides on so they're creating demand and they're getting a, a fee from the merchants, but you're exactly right here Ed is for a lot of people uh if they, you know, if they use this as a as a budgeting tool or a retail tool as these things mar- market themselves then yeah, they're not going to get there. They're, they're not going to have any fees, no interest, no nothing. It's just like they just help smooth out the payments of something that, uh, they, they, you know, would have already bought or maybe they, you know, they, they bought an upgrade that they wouldn't have got, but hey, they can, they can afford it over these paychecks, but it's exactly right is that, uh, these companies also make a lot of money from people getting Trapped, getting tricked up, tripped up in uh, using these uh, things repeatedly for everyday purchases and losing track of what they've bought, losing track of their payments, perhaps even spreading it out across multiple buy now, pay later companies, which is more common than it should be. So, next thing you know, you got Five pay, you know, five different payments due to Afterpay. You got three due to Klarna. You got a couple due to a firm. Um, you know, you, 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 threw a zip in there just for some spice. Um, and then next thing you know, you've lost track of, of what you owe to who. And suddenly those things, you're, um, you're now late. You're now being, uh, uh you know, thrown into collections. So, you're having to pay fees, you're getting harassed, uh, it starts adding up, adding up, adding up in this way. And, you know, so, but only a small percentage of people have to get trapped. In these debt cycles, into these debt traps, for it to start becoming very lucrative for these companies to, to squeeze people, uh, out, you know, for, for, uh, these supposedly no, no fees, no, uh, interest loans, where if you look at the fine print, you'll see that no fees, no interest, as long as you pay, uh, the payments on time every, you know, every time. And and we're talking because these are such short loans. You know, these are credit lines that are that only have a lifespan of six weeks. If you're late by a day, then you got a fee. There's no grace period. There's no time for a grace period. Um, so so you can really get trapped into fees uh, and debt very easily with this, which is what we see happening with people, especially as. People were not using these to smooth out the payments of stuff they would have already bought, but using them to um, buy things on debt, things that they couldn't afford, things that they wanted, things that they needed. Because as we saw, and as Jeremy uh, mentioned at the top of the show, you know, during the pandemic, we saw these things uh, not just become, you know, being used for large one time purchases, but being used for Everyday purchases, groceries, meals, things like that. Then, then it starts getting really easy to get trapped, um, and then that's when they start looking more less like layaway and more like payday.
1: You know, especially with some of these fintech and payday loan lenders. You know, I think we've talked a bit about how a lot of services, a lot of startups, their real value comes not in providing a productive service that genuinely improves your lives but creating slippage for a corporation to insert itself either because it's financializing your life or it's commodifying some key element of it or if those things already exist creating a point for you to fuck up and pay a fee right if you're if parts of your life are already commodified deeply and my all I'm offering is a platform and maybe some capital to front you then you fuck up and you have to pay me that fee for providing you the garden to play in. Right. I think it's really interesting how more like one element of, you know, when people talk about the lifestyle, um, who is it? It was Kevin Roos who talked about like the life millennial mm-hmm. lifestyle subsidy and thinks of it strictly in terms of consumer goods and services provided to millennials at subsidized costs that, are signify an affluent lifestyle, right? Uber and Lyft so that you can easily tra- you know travel city, DoorDash, uh Instacart so that you can instantly get groceries. Things that put people at your immediate command. But the other flip side that I don't think people talk about in the, if if this millennials lifestyle subsidy thing were real, which I don't like that concept, is how firms are intentionally deceiving people to make them think that things are cheaper than they really are, right? That's a hidden element in the front end of the delivery and the gig work stuff. But that's also a more explicit thing in these things where, right, you are put onto these platforms by these by these services to use their loans, to pay for things that you probably couldn't afford if you paid in full. And the second you fuck up, you're fucked because you using their service
2: and you're using their money and there's not much else you can, that's what it comes down to mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I feel like their boardrooms have people in it just like telling them, like, we have to market this stuff to people who potentially are going to miss payments. Like, I feel like that's where their mm-hmm. their bottom line is made. I'm sure. You know, You know. I just imagine a world in which everybody makes all their payments on time and then they close down and they're like, what happened? These people were supposed to miss a fucking payment. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know? I think that's also another thing where it's like, if you know, we talk a lot about socially useful production, but I mean, how much of this business model probably has as a key metric individuals who are fucked by this, who are forced to miss a payment or who are expected to miss a payment and to essentially default on the loan and then be subject to the extra 20% fee or more that will be taken with just a day? Or how many of them are expecting to... Uh, you know, like, I'm also interested in what their arrangements would be if they can't collect on the individual. What if you can't collect from me? Does the vendor then have to pay some sort of fee? Or there, is there some sort of stipulation where it's like, of a certain amount of people who use this platform aren't able to pay us, you have to pay some certain fee? I, it's like, if, it sounds very much to me like a core plank of the business model masquerades as contingency, but is really under the assumption that, like, we're going to make a lot of money off of this
0: element of the And system. they
2: are making a lot of money. You know, you imagine getting a phone call from a debt collector and they're like, uh, Mr. Anguaso, uh, you are a delinquent of $35 for your order of uh, Chipotle a month and a half ago. Uh, you're going to need to pay us like mm. 20% of that plus a $15 processing fee and a $50 late fee. And the oh, next no. thing you know, the, oh, the no. Chipotle <laughs> that puts you in the hospital costs you an extra hundred bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. This This is the cost of being poor. It's expensive being poor. Um, and, and, and that is, I mean, that is a, a sociological fact that we cannot say more, more, you know, cannot say enough that it's expensive being poor. And if this is the goal of these companies, then they are, they are succeeding wildly. So to go to consumer reports had a really good investigation on this, uh, this week. And in there, they, 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 they provide some much needed numbers to these consequences. So. To quote, a survey conducted in August 2021 on behalf of the finance company Credit Karma found that 34% of consumers who used buy now pay later services fell behind on one or more payment. 34%. The survey found that 72% of those who missed a payment believed their credit score dropped as a result. Now, this is true. There was also a, a report in the Wall Street Journal recently showing that there are credit scores um, like Experian who are taking into account, if you use buy now, pay later companies, even if you don't miss a payment, the use of a buy now, pay later company might be evidence of poor financial responsibility and could affect your credit score. So... Not you know even if you don't miss the payment, using one of these services is a red flag for credit scores, and that could drop your credit score. Go back to a Consumer Reports investigation quote: Personal bankruptcy filings also show how easy it is for individuals who are already financially stretched to tap by now pay later lenders. One Florida woman who filed in 2020 listed 43 individual loans from a single lender on her bankruptcy petition. 43 single loans on her bankruptcy petition. And this is already in addition to what we talked about with the behavioral economics involved of uh, people are likely to spend more and spend more often than they would without using the buy now pay later services to begin with. So all of a sudden this starts the the evidence starts mounting that these are not just your friendly neighborhood uh friend who who is who's is loaning you some money to help you buy that new pair of jeans or that new pair of Jordans you know no interest no fees a hey, this is just a loan between friends that that's how they market themselves mm-hmm. But that is absolutely not how they are behaving. And that's absolutely not how the the consequences is. It's much more like your friend Polly Walnuts loaned you some money. And then he's got to come around and break your knees um, because you missed it. You missed your payment.
1: No, Exactly. It, I mean, I, lo- I love this narrative. Why don't you have healthcare? care? It's because we're a family. Why are you in bankruptcy court? Well, it's because we're friends and you owe me $700 for the $100 payment that you made and were laid on by a few days. It's beautiful. It's, I, I, this is my favorite part of capitalism. <laughs> Getting the boot, fastening it, shining the leather, and stomping it on someone's face over and over and Over again. And again.
0: The survey breakdown as well of like missed payments is also really interesting when you break it down generationally. So, you know, 34% of consumers overall fell behind on one or more payments, but, you know, consumer reports, uh, 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 it says, quote, of those, younger shoppers were far more likely to fall behind with more than half of Gen Zers and millennials reporting they missed a payment versus 22% of Gen Xers and just 10% of baby boomers. All, I mean, no surprise. We know that there's a generational wealth gap here, just as there's a racial wealth gap and a gender uh, wealth gap, which these companies do a really good job of taking advantage of all of those things. Uh, and, and say, you know, well, there's a wealth gap, so we'll help you fill in the gap, you know? Um, but we know the consequences of this. This also looks a lot like. What the, uh, uh, sociologist Louise Simster and Raphael Sharon Cheney, um, wrote a really good article in 2017 called Predatory Inclusion and Edu- Education Debt, Rethinking the Racial Wealth Gap. And here they coin, or I don't know if they coin it, but they, but they do a lot to analyze this concept of predatory inclusion, which they, Uh, define as a process wherein lenders and financial actors offer needed services to black households, but on exploitative terms that limit or eliminate their long-term benefits. Um, So, you know, and here they're they're looking at like for-profit colleges uh, and, and education debt as a form of predatory inclusion. But this buy now, pay later is absolutely another form of predatory inclusion. This is when they talk about financial inclusion, when the uh, World Economic Forum talks about financial inclusion, when the World Bank talks about financial inclusion, when these companies talk about financial inclusion, they forget to say the predatory part. That's silent, but that's always present here with how they actually operate in practice. It's really interesting to, to look at, like consumer reports uh, in their investigation also provide a series of Uh, of of tips you know how to use buy now pay later without falling into the the trap of debt without getting taken advantage of and it's very interesting that you know to look at their tips as you know things like watch out for gotchas in the faqs of these services you know it's like read the fine Mm -hmm. print um, set up automatic payments, you know, so you don't miss a payment, or you don't lose track or forget, you know, uh, or, or their last one, consider using a credit card instead. <laughs> if, if your advice is to use a credit card, <laughs> That's instead of these companies, that's a bad company, man. If credit cards are the preferred met, uh, offer by consumer reports, it's <laughs> being like, I don't know, man, like use yeah. a credit card instead of Karna or Afterpay. Makes me feel good. It's a vote of confidence, I think, personally. In this episode, we've only just laid out the like the basics of how this stuff works, where it came from what it means uh, in terms of social consequences and personal consequences. There is still so much left to, to understand in terms of like researching and reporting how these companies actually operate, the consumer experience uh, of using these companies, uh, theorizing them as part of platform capitalism, DeFi, FinTech, whatever we want to call it, right? Like, Theorizing them as part of this larger, uh, uh, conglomerate of capital. Um, there's still so much more work that needs to be done here. And we're, we're coming up to the end of time, but I wanna, I wanna end it by talking about what, um, uh is especially drawing me to buy now pay later right now you know obviously something we've all been aware of because we watched this space obviously something we've all been critical of but what's making me uh, dig even deeper into it now is in my, uh project on insure tech I've been noticing one of the really big trends right now. Uh one, you know, uh, big innovations in insurance being brought on by insure tech startups. Big trend that a lot of uh, uh uh industry insiders and thought leaders and consultants are super bullish about being, you know, the future of insurance is something that's called embedded insurance. And when I started reading about this, it's like, it, it works exactly the same way that buy now, pay later works. The idea of embedded insurance is you, uh, in the, in the, the checkout flow process of buying something online or buying some other service, one of these embedded insurers, like a, another Australian company cover genius. I don't know why Australia is, is so big right now, um, in these like parasitic intermediaries. I also forgot to mention that, The Australian Securities Exchange, the ASX, has more buy-now-pay-later companies that are uh, publicly trading on the ASX than any other security or stock exchange in the world. It's impressive. I mean, Afterpay is one of the biggest ones, and it's an Australian-made company, but for whatever reason... Australia sets itself up con- a, a, as this like regulatory sandbox. It really tries to market itself. Is it just like
1: super laissez-faire? Yeah. Um, when it comes to these sort of companies,
0: they really try to attract like fin like like fintech and regtech and InsurTech and all this stuff to Australia as a like hey come here uh, experiment build your company here use our. Population as a test bed for your products and services, for whatever reason, uh, be, you know, because of that, the ASX has more buy now pay later companies than any other. But there's also back to insuretech. So embedded insurance, the biggest player in this right now is called Cover Genius, and they're also an Australian company. But the way embedded insurance works is essentially that instead of you know you you're check you're buying something. Say you're booking a hotel room, you're booking a flight, you're purchasing a power tool, uh, or a new TV. Um, instead of it, instead of there also, instead of there just being, uh, uh, you know, a Klarna or an Afterpay being like, hey, you can pay with this, you know, in four easy installments. There is now increasingly also an insurance company there as well being like, hey, why don't you, while you're booking, while you're checking out, just add on, uh an insurance policy for uh you know why don't you get some travel insurance um for this flight you're taking why don't you get some insurance for this Airbnb you're booking how about you get an extended warranty for this new TV that you just bought just add it on man just chuck, you know just chuck it into the cart and check out and boom you got a you got an insurance policy it's called embedded insurance and the idea works exactly the same as buy now pay later where it's meant to be this additional add-on you know the idea is that uh, you know, you know how you go to a grocery store and they've always got the little things there at the cash register to to get you a, a small impulse buy. Oh, all right, I'll get that magazine. I'll get that that chocolate bar. This is the exact same idea with insurance. Oh, okay, I'll get that insurance policy. I'll just chuck it in there with the uh, with my basket of goods. Um, you know, sure, why not? This is and and as i was like reading about this and researching insuretech i was like this this looks and acts exactly like buy now pay later in terms of its function as a as another uh in, another technological intermediary that wants to sit right there in between you and something that you're buying that wants to uh throw itself into your cart it it it's it's something that is still really new uh, something I'm still, you know, needing to spend a lot of time researching, but also just, I think, really revealing that this thing that is uh, being held up as like, you know, the future of insure tech innovation looks a whole lot like buy now, pay later, um, acts a whole lot like it in terms of just another intermediary in the in the checkout flow.
1: I feel a lot better af- about online shopping after this episode. <laughs> Not that I felt that good about it anyway.
0: <laughs> I mean, if there's if there's any advice here from from this, it's buy now, pay later companies, yeah. and don't buy embedded insurance products. Both of these things are scams. There's a whole literature uh, on like um, law and economics. Now, uh, a uh, scholarship of insurance uh, concludes that. Add-on insurance products like extended warranties, the the kind of in, uh, you know small policies you buy when you're like renting a car, these things that are called add-on insurance. You know, it's just another thing that you can just easily chuck into your cart when you're purchasing another service or another good. There's a large literature that that just has consensus that these things are scams. They don't make any sense. Uh, economically, um, they only exist as extremely high margin products for insurance companies. They are pure profit. Extended warranties, loss damage waivers, uh, you know, all of these add on insurance products are pure profit for insurers. And that's been known for decades, uh, that this is the fact that this is the case. Regulators have tried hard. To, if not ban, then at least highly regulate these kinds of add-on insurance products because they are known to be peer uh, profit that take advantage of consumers in, in a lot of different ways. And I think it's also really t- telling that one of the big insure tech innovations um, emerging right now is a technological veneer on an old thing that has long been seen by regulators lawyers economists people who study and 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 uh, govern these things as scams peer profit for the insurance companies so it's a brave new world of grift ahead of us they 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 i'm i'm excited they keep coming up with new ways to do it I'm personally I'm excited. I think it's going to be great. We're going we're charting,
1: we're in uncharted territory. We're going to get even more robust returns, robust returns than ever before. And more content to talk about.
0: That's our de- that's our 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 deep investigation to buy now pay later, which has only just scratched the surface. Absolutely more to come on this. And I'll reiterate as well, you dear listener, if you know of good good critical scholarship on buy now, pay later, on embedded insurance, on these kinds of companies, send it my way. I'm I, I, I wanna read it. I wanna find it. Um it needs to be out there. Um it's it's a big blind spot that uh, uh we, we need a lot more attention on. So With that, thank you all for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Your support is appreciated as always. So until next week, with more TMK to come, see ya. ya.